Welcome to the Reform Rookie Podcast. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so? Worthy vicar, do we find anything here of relics? By faith man lives and is made righteous, not by what he does for himself. Be it adoration of relics, singing of masses, pilgrimages to Rome, purchase of pardon for his sins, but by faith in what God has done for him already through his son. Dr. Martin, if you leave the Christian to live only by faith, if you sweep away all good works, all these glorious things you dismiss as mere crutches, what will you put in their place? Christ. Man only needs Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Reform Rookie Podcast. I'm Anthony Uvinio, your Reform Rookie host, and on this podcast we'll be discussing Reform theology with seasoned pastors and teachers. Our goal is to explain and clarify Reform doctrine and terms and hopefully make them easier to understand and get you to see how they fit into the big picture. I want to take the rich, deep truths of the Reform tradition and help you see the beauty of them and to experience the joy in understanding them greater. Understanding these truths will bring us closer to to the God of the Scriptures and help us better recognize God's plan of salvation throughout the Bible. Again, I'm Anthony Uvinio, your Reform Rookie host, and today we'll be going over the uh, doctrine of total depravity. And to help us understand this topic, I have my good friend Ryan Galan. Hey, Ryan, how are you? What's up, Anthony? How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks for uh, joining us tonight. My pleasure. Yeah, Ryan currently teaches at Calvary Chapel Bible College, and he's a preacher and apologist. He's married to his wife, Ava, and has three beautiful daughters. He's also a student at Nyack College, where he's in the process of completing his MBA. And being a former pastor at Centerpoint Church's Bayshore Campus and a retired U.S. Marine, it gives him a unique point of view and approach to apologetics and the ministry. So, Ryan... um, since this is a podcast about Reformed theology, how did you actually come to the Reformed faith or the doctrines of grace? Well, um, so I was, uh, I, I, the Lord rescued me in my early 30s. So I was a latecomer kind of to Christ. And um, when the Lord rescued me at the time, I was in the military stationed in San Diego, California. Um, and I did not get saved at a Reformed church. Funny thing, I heard your podcast uh from last week who was it that you had on again what was his josh somer josh yes and uh just so happens we were both saved at the same church so uh, the rock (laughs) church there in san diego that's amazing hey it's it's a big church i'm not i'm not surprised right um anyone who lives in san diego if you're a christian you've probably probably at least heard of it but um but the lord that's where the lord saved me that's where i came to faith and uh honestly i would say In the very beginning, I didn't really know anything about what the Reformed faith was. Uh, But I I started getting exposed to um, some word of faith stuff. Uh, That's the first thing that someone kind of threw at me. A friend of mine (laughs) sent me a website for Kenneth Copeland Ministries, and he's like, Oh, brother, this is is it, man. This is what you got to get down with. And I remember watching, uh, I think it might have been one video clip, and I said, No way. I said, uh, whatever Christianity is, it's not that. Right. So uh, God just really gave me a hunger for his word. Mm. And I would say that over the next couple of years, um, without knowing it, my faith was being reformed. And then Mm. I started to find, you know, teachers like uh, uh, John Piper and uh, uh, Paul Washer, you know, um, Matt Chandler, R.C. Sproul, 
uh, before you knew it, like uh, the more I listened to them, the more I began began to realize like this is what Scripture teaches. Um, it wasn't about me trying to be reformed. It wasn't mm-hmm. about me trying to, you know, uh, uh, oh, I, I want to go after Calvin and I want to be a Calvinist. It was mm-hmm. just about me really wanting to understand the Scriptures um, as God has laid them out. And uh, it just so happens that the Reformed faith is, uh, in my opinion, you know, the, the most accurate when it comes to uh, uh, the, our understanding of the Scriptures. Right. Um, I think uh, it, it's the most uh, uh, coherent and um, uh, just the, 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 the truest when it comes to our understanding the Scriptures. And so I'd say it was a while before I, I ever said, okay, yeah, I'm a Calvinist. You know, it, 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 was, it, it took me a while to, to come to that understanding it was wasn't until i recognized that um uh it wasn't about calvin it was right. about his understanding of the scriptures mm-hmm. that i was able to say okay i, I can i can live with this <laughs> sure i mean if if calvinism reflects the teaching of the scriptures well then yes i identify as a calvinist but if it errors yeah if, if it if it strays from the scriptures well no i would disagree with it at that point right yep exactly yeah. So when 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 you found uh, when you started to understand, okay, yeah, this this lines up with what people consider Calvinist. Did you tell people you were a Calvinist? Um, did they have a reaction to that? No, I didn't. Because again, so I didn't grow up in the church, and I didn't have a lot of exposure, uh, you know, to Christian culture. So it was kind of. Um, you know, I, I didn't really think too much of it. It wasn't until I'd say I got to school. Uh, I, I did my undergrad at NIAC also. I did a, a um, I did a, my undergrad in um, pastoral ministry as well as Bible and theology. Uh, it wasn't until I started to meet some of those professors there, uh, and they caught wind of me being more reformed, uh, where they kind of pulled me to the side and said, "Hey, just so you know, not everyone really." is okay with reformed <laughs> theology. And it was kind of like a warning, and it was a wake-up call. Like, Why? What do you mean, you know? And then they kind of opened my eyes to some things, and uh, uh, yeah, and, and but it was at that point where I said, you know, um, this, is, this is it. So I would say really only, what, four years now? Five years? Mm-hmm. That's how long you've been a Calvinist? Yeah, I'd say about four or five years. Okay, all right. So, um, when when the when the teachers were were talking to you about that, did they seem? Um, some people, when they hear the word Calvinist, they just the hair on the back of their necks goes up. Uh, was that the reaction, or was it more of, "Hey, we track, we're tracking with you"? What what, what was the? No, so they were tracking with me. Okay, they just realized that the the theology that I was sharing. Uh, not everyone was necessarily going to, you know, the sovereignty of God for me was a very, very big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get into debates in class about, no, listen, no, God chooses who he saves. This is God's <laughs> world. And my professors would be like, amen, but then, hey, let's talk a little bit, you know. Uh, you may want to be, some people take offense. And for me, again, yeah. I, could, I didn't get it. It didn't make sense to me. Uh, but, you know, I, I really believed at the time uh hey don't we all just want to believe what scripture teaches you know sure um 
But uh, yeah, so I, that, that's kind of how it, how it came about with them. Mm-hmm. I, again, in my undergrad program at NIAC, I had some really solidly uh, solid reformed teachers, uh, which again, that was totally by God's uh, grace mm-hmm. that He did that in my life because it could have easily have gone another way. And who knows where I would have been influenced at that time? Right, right. So why why do you think it is that people uh, you know uh, tend to recoil when they hear the word Calvinist or reform? Do you think it's purely God's sovereignty, the doctrine of God's sovereignty, and Him being in total control that makes them fearful? Yeah, I, honestly, I I think that's the the I'd say in my in my conversations, that's always the greatest objection mm. is how can you know. Uh, how can God be in complete control? You know, in my so even in my own home recently, um, my wife and I, you know, she's still working through this stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, she she's still struggling with the idea. You know, wh- what do you mean that God chose me? Didn't I choose Him? You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's ultimately it, what it really comes down to is man wants to be sovereign, right? Uh, we want to be the ones to, to dictate, you know, what we believe in and, and whether or not we trust in God. And hey, this, this is all going to tie right into what we're going to talk about tonight, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But yeah, I think that's what it really all comes down to. Yeah. Now, I, yeah, I think uh, when, when people uh, hear that God is completely in control, uh, it, it pricks their hearts because then they, then they recognize, well, if, if he's in control, then I'm not. And man doesn't want to release control. Yep. But I often explain to people, you know, if if you if you get upset or you can't wrap your head around God being in t- totally in control of everything, how do you have any comfort in a God who doesn't have control of everything? Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be scarier than a God yeah. a, a God who is is good in everything he does? Wouldn't you want him to have control over everything? Yeah, I, you know, I've I've often even you know preached it like uh, a God who is not in control is not God. That's right. Right. Like if if God is not sovereign and He is not in control, then point me to whoever is because that's who then I need to worship. Right, and we all recognize that we're not in control. Exactly. Right? So exactly. who is? We might want to deceive ourselves. Uh, ultimately, we know we know we're not in control. Absolutely. Well, this is this will be a great segue into our topic tonight, which is total depravity, which again I think is a uh, a term that most uh, most Christians don't want to embrace. So, could you give us a simple uh, explanation or definition of what total depravity is? Sure. So, uh, the doctrine of total depravity is that doctrine which teaches that. All of man um, has been affected by sin. When I say all of man, I mean uh, simply every part of our being, uh, from our intellect, our emotions, our will, even our bodies, our physical bodies, mm-hmm. have been corrupted by the fall. Um, now, that, that's total, that, that's what it means that when we say total depravity, that every, every bit of us has been corrupted by sin, corrupted by fall. Um, not uh, uh, what some people think total depravity is, which is that uh, man is as wicked as they, we could be. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not total depravity. That's not the same thing. Uh, we recognize that though uh, 
all, every bit of man is touched by sin, that men are still capable of doing things which society would consider good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, still con- still uh, 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 have the ability to to care for one another, to uh, help a nice old lady across the street. Um, mm-hmm. Total depravity doesn't mean we don't we lack the ability to do good deeds. Um, okay. It just means that all of our faculties, um, including our bodies, which are literally in the state of dying day to day, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, that all of us have been corrupted. That's what total depravity is. Okay, so sin has affected our will, our intellect, and emotions. Yes. Right, but not to the point where we're saturated, completely saturated by sin. It's more, uh, the description would be more a, everything in us has has been, uh, it refers to total distribution of sin through our faculties, not the saturation of sin. Yes, I like that. That's a, that's a great way to put it, yes. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm actually, and, yeah, I, I actually want to give a plug to uh, uh, this pastor, Jim Oreck from Tennessee. He put out a new book called Mere Calvinism, and you know, Ryan, it is it is excellent. He's given some really, really good practical illustrations that hopefully I'll be able to tie into our conversation tonight. I can't recommend that book enough. It's called Mere Calvinism by Jim Oreck. O-R-R-I-C-K. Sounds great. Yeah, so and that's that was one of the, the, the things that he said. The total in total depravity refers to total distribution of sin, not total saturation with sin. So if he, he the illustration he used was if you would um, put a, a sponge into a bowl of vinegar, okay, and pull it out, it would be saturated. That's not what we're talking about. But if you put that bowl uh, that that sponge into the bowl of vinegar, wrung it out, the the vinegar would still permeate the whole sponge, but it wouldn't saturate the sponge. I like it. Yeah, I like it. I'm probably gonna steal that one day too. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. That's 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 all right. So, w- what are the practical impl- implications of of total depravity? Uh, the practical implications. Well, I mean, ultimately, what it mean the, the the most practical implication uh, is that it means that um, we are completely incapable of doing anything that is pleasing to God. Uh, that ultimately, because sin has infected every, uh, you know, every part of our being, that every act we do then is tainted by sin, mm-hmm. uh, which means there is nothing that we can do. Right? Uh, Isaiah says we that that even our good deeds are like filthy rags. Um, mm-hmm. So ultimately, that's that would be the taken to its, you know, ultimate conclusion. That would be where it ends up right so so i i see one of the practical implications of this uh doctrine to mean that we need to be rescued and in that process of us being rescued we don't take any part in the rescuing we don't partake in that rescue mission because like scripture says there is none who seek after god we're not seeking him Right, Jesus yeah. is the one who came to seek and save the lost. So He's the rescuer. I'm the um, the one who needs rescue. The one who needs rescue and unable to rescue myself and unable to help the person rescuing me. Yes, one hundred percent. I mean, I think 
uh, 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 that, that follows very naturally from the sense to be, you know, again, total depravity that every part of our being has been touched with sin, that there is mm. nothing which we can do that is uh, uh, good or pleasing to God. Well, helping ourselves would be good. It would be pleasing. Mm. It would, right? So, so right. It, I mean, absolutely. So naturally, the, that would follow is that we, there's nothing we can do. Scripture says, right, that we uh, are, are dead in our trespasses and sin. Right. Um, uh, you know, I listened to that sermon that you posted by your pastor, um, right. and he was in, uh, was it Galatians 5, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to flip there. Sure. I have my Bible in front of me. Um, and, right, so here, uh, this is probably bad radio or bad uh, 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 podcast for you while I'm here looking for Not it. at all. Um, Not at all. Uh, I'm going there, too. Now, so it says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, right? 19, um, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, fractions, uh, um, uh, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I have uh, forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's not the verse that I'm looking for, but that's still a good verse. Um, uh, where is it? Is it Galatians 5 or, or Romans 2? I'm looking for... Is it Romans 2 that I'm thinking of? The one that says, um, all have turned aside, no one seeks after God? No, that, the, the, that we're uh, all under the wrath of God. Oh, that's, uh, I think, um, chapter 2. Uh, Ephesians 2, right? Were by nature objects of wrath? Yes, I think you're right. Yeah, 2.3 says, uh, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. wrath nature children of wrath. Right, like, the, like the rest of mankind, right? Yes. So that speaks to the nature of human beings, of you know, prior to, you know, God transforming our hearts and, like you said, rescuing us, making us making us alive. Yes. You know, I like Steve Lawson, and he, he says this. He says, tell me what you believe about total depravity, and I'll tell you what you believe about the rest of the Bible. Mm. <laughs> you know, this yeah. is this is the, the doctrine uh, upon which everything hinges. If we're, if we're able in and of ourselves to respond to God positively or do something that brings us closer to God, well, then we're not actually, we're not actually dead. Absolutely. Right? And again, this this is another quote from uh, Jim Oreck, and I'm just loving this book. He says, There's a vast difference between critically ill and dead. A physician might help you when you're critically ill, but only God can help you when you're dead. Yeah. If, if, you know, like some people say, well, we're sick. We're We're not dead to the things of God. We're sick. And if that's if that's the case, then like like Jim Oreck said, you, you, a, a physician, a doctor can help you, and that's a resuscitation. That's not a resurrection. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's it's only when you're dead that you need to be resurrected, and it's only when you're dead that you can truly understand the unmerited favor of God or grace. That's when it really becomes amazing grace, right? Absolutely. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. If there was, you know, um, if there was anything whatsoever that we contribute to our salvation, and in that moment, uh, it means that we've done done something to uh, to earn it, to 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 uh, even to um, obtain it, to grasp it, to you know what I mean? It's, sure. But, but Scripture is very very clear in that there is nothing that we can do. Uh, you know, you're, you're, I, I love everyone that you're quoting. Um, I'm just going to quote uh, Shylin. <laughs> you know, he, the way he puts it is, you know, we, you were you were dead at the bottom of the sea. There's there's nothing that you could do. A, de- a dead thing sitting at the bottom of the sea cannot bring itself up out of the water. <laughs> right. It's just absolutely impossible. Right. Um, you know, uh, uh, R.C. Sproul. Right. He says that. Uh, when it comes to when it comes to this doctrine, he says that we are we are not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners. Right. Again, getting to the core of it that that's that is who we are in our innermost being is mm. we are sinners because all again all of our faculties are corrupted with sin. Right. Right. Yeah, and that's that, that you you bring up a good point because we are born in this world in a state of sin already and that's why we need to be born again we need to be born from above we're born from below and that's sinful uh and it carries with it a sinful nature that's why we need the grace of god from above to come down transform our hearts and make us into uh new new creation uh new creatures yeah you know uh the the one of the things I say at my church all the time is the T is true because everywhere you look, you know, you know that the T is true. So I, I actually, I coined the phrase, the T is true. And then I continued it. I said, the T is true. The T is total. In other words, it encompasses every part of man and the T is terminal. You know, if you're left in a state of total depravity and God does not extend his grace to you, you will die in that state and be eternally separated from him forever. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So now that, now that we know what total depravity is, where do we find this in Scripture, Ryan? Oh gosh, where where don't we? Find it? <laughs> um, I agree. And, you know, uh, uh, some of uh, I guess we could start um, looking. For example, uh, uh, one of my favorite verses that that I, I quote all the time: mm-hmm. uh, Jeremiah seventeen nine. Right. Yes. The heart. The heart. And, and, and the heart, this is really important, right? Because in Jewish thought, what, what is the heart? The heart is the very center of the will, mm. uh, the very center of the man. It's from which all decisions, everything that the, 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 uh, everything that the human being does flows from that, from the heart. And Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all things and mm. desperately sick. Who can understand it? Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it doesn't. I think it doesn't get much more. That's why, uh, um, whenever I hear someone, uh, uh, especially usually from the other side, arguing, you know, oh, oh doesn't God? Uh, but God knows in your heart that one day you're going to choose Him, which is why, you know, that's that's all, sometimes how you hear people try to argue it. And it's like, no, the, the issue is God does know exactly what's in our hearts. That they are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. A deceitful and wicked heart will never choose God. Right. Never. Right. Unless a new heart is given. Mm-hmm. Unless a new heart is given. Um, but I mean, so that that's so. This is obviously this is not a new covenant kind of 
teaching, a New Testament teaching. This is this goes back from uh, 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 from the the Old and the New Testament. Uh, again, God is right the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm-hmm. But um, but so you have Jeremiah has it. Another place to go uh, it is um, you can go to Romans chapter three, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, Romans chapter three says uh, uh, right that none is righteous, no, not one. No one mm. understand. No one seeks for God. <laughs> All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. <laughs> and of course, that's a quote out of. Psalm 14, again, out of the Old Testament. So, again, the idea that there's none that is righteous, none that does good, no one that seeks for God. And we can have a whole conversation there, right, about uh, seeker-sensitive churches and stuff, too. Yes. uh, Yes. uh, That's a whole, (laughs) probably a whole other episode. But the the, the idea being, again, that there's nothing that uh, uh, a human being can do in and of themselves in mm-hmm. order to choose God or in order to come to God. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that's so, so true. In fact, in Jer- going in Jeremiah a little bit before the verse that you spoke about is Jeremiah 13.23, and it's one that I use, and people don't quite understand it until I tell them what, how it applies to them. Uh, Jeremiah says, Can an Ethiopian change his skin mm. or a leopard yeah. change his spots? Then also can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil? So think about what he's saying. An Ethiopian whose skin is probably black cannot change it to white or any other color. A white man can't change his skin to be black, and a black man can't change his skin to be white because it's his nature. That's how he was born. A leopard can't change his spots. As much as he wants to be a zebra and have stripes, he can't do it. It's it's Mm -hmm. outside of his nature to do that. And then... You know, Jeremiah says, then also you can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Good is not something that's going to flow naturally from our hearts because that's not our nature. We do not start off that way. Uh, yes. Um, you know, uh, this coming Thursday, I'm going to be uh, starting another class at Calvary Chapel Bible College. I'm teaching Genesis okay. this semester. Um, and people need to recognize uh, total depravity is there in Genesis. Uh, you know, in Genesis 8, the Lord says um, that he will never again curse the ground because of man, mm. for the intention of man's heart is evil mm. from his youth. Wow. Evil from his youth. Right. Okay? And, and look, you know, whenever I've taught this uh, uh, doctrine or whenever it's come up in my preaching, um, I've got three kids. And, you know, I tell anyone, if you've got kids, you know this to be true. Because I never, my my youngest is three years old. You know, God bless her. I've never taught her to lie to me. I never taught her to throw a tantrum. Um, I've never taught her, you you know what I mean? Yeah. Those are not the things that we teach our children. No, what we have to teach them is not to lie. Right. We have to teach them is to share their toys. We have to teach them not to talk back. Right. Right. Well, why is that? Well, this is why. Mm-hmm. This is why. You you let a child grow up and and raise themselves. You end up with a very wicked adult. Is what you end up with. Absolutely, absolutely. I I, I agree with you. I I I had to teach my t- my children how to you know to tell the truth. Why do I have to teach them to tell the truth? It's because they're accustomed to lying. It's self-preservation. It, it, it comes easy. 
you know? That verse in Genesis that you were talking about, which verse was that, Ryan? Uh, chapter 8, verse 21. 8, verse 21, yeah, because I think in, in Genesis 6, yeah. uh, it says, the Lord, saw, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention, intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. continually. And this... This was so this was so bad that the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Mm. You know, and that I, I understand that that's an anthropomorphism. Uh it's yeah, yeah. you know, it's it's using, you know, terms that we would understand because, you know, God knows all things, he doesn't change. He you know, God didn't repent or regret in that sense. Um, but it, it, think about it. You know, the every in, intention of the thoughts of our heart was only evil continually. You know, and I, and I, I, I tell people, you know, and in fact, I was having a conversation today with someone that God is actively restraining the evil in men's hearts continually, uh, because if he didn't uh, and he let man do what he would, what man is capable of, it would be hell right now. It would be hell on earth. Yeah. Right. And I think ultimately that's, that's what hell is. God re- releasing the restraint on their hearts and pouring out his wrath on them uh, in a place completely separated from him with no hope of going back. Yeah, you know, it, it's uh, this past week, Anthony, um, I, I received news that an, uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine was murdered. Oh, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, she was murdered and she was five months pregnant. Oh uh, gosh! Uh, the apparently the attacker. It seems like police are looking right now. They they believe it was an ex. That that it's the the baby's father. Oh uh, my! But he he killed her. Looks like because he, he stabbed her in the stomach first and then in the neck. Mm. Um, but here's here's the thing that since you know cause we, I know we were going to be talking about this tonight. What I just was processing is that is still with God's restraint. Yes. Yes, that is still with God's restraint that 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 like, you know, and and here's the thing. Here's the only thing that separates me from that man is the grace of God. Right. That is the only thing that separates me from that man, because ultimately at our core, without the restraint of God, without the grace of God, Mm. we're all worse than that. Mm -hmm. We would do worse to one another. Mm hmm. And I don't, I don't know if you know. I, I, I think, um, as as a church, you know, we, we need to come to grips with that. Uh, the other day, I was in a Bible study, and and um, the question was asked again. You know, when it comes to, we were actually we were in Ephesians two, uh, mm-hmm. uh, which is why that verse was in my head, but I got it mixed up with your uh, your pastor's <laughs> verse. Um, but uh, uh, we were in Ephesians two, and the question came up. You know, oh well, what about those people in Africa? Who are in that tribe that's mm. never been, you know, that that's never had a chance to know God, and they're just kind of, you know, living their life and they're doing okay. And you know, I, I, I said, look, I, I, I don't think. Well, I'm sorry. Here's the problem: is that you think that there's someone actually out there in the world that's just doing okay and doing good on their <laughs> own apart from God. Right. That that there's a lack of understanding of. The, the depravity of man, right. of the sinfulness of man, the wickedness of man. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, um, uh, Titus, right? Uh, uh, Titus one fifteen says, uh, 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 to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. 
Mm. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. Wow. Think like nothing. And he says to the unbelieving, to the defiled and unbelieving. The, the, the thing about that is at one point we were all unbelieving. Sure. Right. So, so God, he's not leaving like he, Paul's point there is not even to like make two categories. Right. Because the idea is that we, this was one at one time we were all mm-hmm. unbelieving and nothing is pure. Both mind and conscience are defiled. How mm. You know, so that's why when we when we talk about the tribes and and those people groups who you know uh, um, don't have haven't heard the gospel or haven't had someone sent to them yet, the point is is what they still deserve is the wrath of God. Right. Yeah. I, I, absolutely. Um, in fact, I think it's again in uh, Jeremiah. It says, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hooed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So they've they've utterly um, rejected the only one who can help them. In fact, uh, again, I'm going to use another illustration from this book. He talks about... um, uh, Hyper hydrosis? No. Uh, what is it called here? Oh, I'll get it in a second. Hold on a second. It's really good. Um, it's it's the the result of of rabies. Do you know what Do you know what rabies is? Yeah. Okay. What, do you know what it does to you? Other than the foaming at the mouth, and I know you get angry, right? And and, and it affects that, but that's about it. Yeah. It it actually. Uh, it's a, it's it's a fear. Oh, it, here it is. Hydrophobia. That's what it, that's what rabies is also known as. And hydra is water. Phobia is fear. Rabies actually causes the fear of water, so that you cannot drink water. You cannot go near water. It becomes like kryptonite. In fact, I saw a video of a guy online. Um, they were trying to treat him. He had rabies. They put a glass of water in his hand. He started physically shaking, could not bring the water to his mouth. Oh, wow. And they end up, people end up dying from dehydration. So it's not that there's not water there. There's not that somebody's not giving them the water. The, the, the point is they don't want the water. They're rejecting the only thing that will actually keep them alive. Yep. And that's exactly what total depravity is. It's this rejection of living water, right? God, Jesus says rivers of living water will flow from your belly. We need, that's the reference to the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to give us life. But that's the one thing that we continually push away. Mm. And we end up dying from from dehydration. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what I'm going to do, pal? I'm going to cut this off here, and then we're going to continue uh, in a couple more minutes. Uh, maybe we can go through those those cannots. Okay. You know? Sounds good. So, all right. Pal, hang, hang in with me there. Uh, just just for those of you listening, you can look us up on the web at www.reformrookie.com. There you can find access to this podcast, 
blogs, and I have a video doctrine series that we're putting up about a video a week. So if you want to learn more about the uh, Reformed Theology, please come check us out on the web. Uh, we'd love to see uh, more and more people learn what we're talking about here. So remember, a life reformed is a life conformed to the Jesus of the Scriptures and to God be the glory. So Semper Reformanda, always be reforming, because like Charles Purgeon said, a Bible falling apart is usually, usually held by someone who isn't. I'm Anthony Uvino, and thanks again for joining us on the Reformed Rookie Podcast. You have been listening to the Reformed Rookie Podcast, where we aim to teach Reformed theology to beginners or rookies. Be sure to look us up on the web at www.reformedrookie.com, where you will find many more learning tools and aids to help you grow in your understanding of all things Reformed. And remember, Semper Reformanda. Dr. Luther, are you prepared to retract these writings? In some, I discuss faith and good works. If I were to retract these, I should be denying accepted Christian truths. Martin Luther, you have not yet answered the question. Will you recant, or will you not? Here it is. I am bound to my beliefs by the texts of the Bible. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Amen.